Welcome to the Ask Your Pastor podcast, where we explore biblical answers for today's congregation. Well, welcome to today's podcast. Uh, today, we ha- my name is Brandon Whitaker. We also have Mr. Matthew Cannon. <laughs> And he's laughing because I had an outtake earlier that kind of screwed up the whole introduction, but we're going to go with it because, you know, we're human. We make mistakes. So our, <sighs> you're good. I'm good. Matt's good. All right. But we also have uh, our lovely pastor, Mr. Shane Smith, with us as well. Mr. Shane, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Shane, you told me early that you actually were in a serene location recording on location. Where are you at? I am. I'm actually sitting in our pond house out by the pond, and uh, I'm getting a good blood transfusion by the mosquitoes right now, but it's beautiful, so I'm going to take it. Hopefully the donors don't have malaria. So we're going to continue today with the question of the day. So, Mr. Uh, Mr. Matt, what is the question for today? All right, so the question today, um, obviously sent in from a listener, um, a very uh, simple question, um, but could be the most important question you will ever be asked. So, <laughs> Mr. Shane, the uh, question is, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? That was, I like that question, <clears throat> and I'm excited about it. It gives me an opportunity to share it and um, actually share it in detail. Um, so, what is the gospel? It's, it's, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you why that's a great question in just a second. But first, I, you know, I'll kind of start off with some basics. And because you never know the audience that you're reaching, you never know who's listening. And so you're going to start off with basics and then build from there. So um, what is the gospel? What does the word gospel mean? And uh, as in essence, it's the good news. In Greek, it's euangelion. And in Latin, it's evangelium. And it's where we get our word evangel. Uh, which means good news. And, you know, and you'll think about words like evangelism and evangelistic and all those different things that all derives from that. And so it's good news. And uh, and, uh, if you think about it in a general sense, uh, what may be good news to you or to me might not necessarily be good news or even relevant news to somebody else, but from a spiritual standpoint, the gospel is universal good news. In other words, it's, it's good news to everybody because it's good news from Almighty God. And so the gospel is the answer for the most tragic condition of mankind, which is sin. And sin separates us from God. And the result of that, that tragic separation, when it's sealed by death, is eternity in hell. And that's a place that's spoken of often in the scriptures. And it's a, it's a place that Jesus described as a place of eternal torment. And if you want to look at some of that, you can check out Luke chapter 16. There's a pretty good description of that in there. Um, but it's a great question because according to the, the apostle Paul, if you ask, if you go out in the public and you ask 20 people, what the gospel is, how many answers do you think you'll get? How many different answers do you think you'll get? I mean, that's kind of a loaded <laughs> question, but yeah, probably, uh, probably a lot of different yeah, ones. That's, yeah, that's exactly, that's what I'm getting at. So, you know, there, there, according to the apostle Paul, there's, there's messages out there that are referred to as the gospel, but they're really no gospels at all. <clears throat> they're forgeries and fakes and deception and they're actually, it's, it, Satan it has a systematic way of deceiving people. And one of the best ways that he can use to deceive people is to take the true gospel and pervert it and take truths out of it and replace them with, with uh, heresy and then deceive people. So if, if you guys, have y'all got a Bible handy? Have you got your, your Bible handy or maybe an app or something that's handy? I want to get you guys to read a couple of passages of scripture. I have one. Do you? Can you go yeah. to Galatians chapter one? Yeah. Um, verses six through nine. Galatians one six through nine. That way people don't have okay. to hear me talk the whole time. 
<laughs> All right, Galatians 1, 16, yeah. reading from the ESB. <laughs> Not the NASB, which we did a podcast Not on. the New American Standard, very literal, formal, dynamic equivalency. Yes. All right, ESB is way <laughs> down there close to that. Good. I love it. <laughs> All right, so Galatians uh, chapter 1, verse 6. Uh, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Okay, so in that, in that text, I mean, there's clear evidence right there from Paul that there are other messages that are referred to as the gospel, but they're not gospels at all. And then there's another place in the text uh, there close to the end. Uh, I don't have it right in front of me, but there's another text right there close to the end that tells us how diligent that we are, uh, how diligent that we should be, you know, as born-again Christians to make sure that we get it right. Um, there's another one too, either one of you, Brandon or Matt, either one. Um, there's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you'd read 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 and 2. Okay. I just preached a sermon on some of these verses though they're not as a matter of fact i like this chapter a lot and while brandon's flipping there this is actually one of the most extensive handlings of the resurrection in the bible in first corinthians 15. go ahead Brandon. all right first corinthians 15 what was the verse uh, verses one and two all right this is from the authorized king james version <laughs> it says it says moreover uh, brethren I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which ye also are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. Okay. So in, in, in those verses, you can see that there's only one gospel that we can stand on. If we're standing on anything other than what the true gospel is, uh, we're standing on sinking sand. And so that's how important. Those are just a couple of passages. There's a lot of them. But those are just a couple of passages that, 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 that teach us some things about the importance of the true gospel. So there's clear evidence there that there are so-called gospels that exist that aren't really gospels at all. And they're doctrines of demons, as a matter of fact. They're designed by Satan uh, to deceive masses of people. And they have. And not only uh, have they, but they do, and they will in the future, unfortunately. But you have different cults uh, out there, um, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, that preach a Jesus that's not the Jesus of the Bible. And that is tragic. It's tragic. Uh, and those are two prime examples of what I'm talking about. I know that can be offensive, but I would rather offend somebody and call them out of darkness into light than to let them die in their sins and face eternal separation from God. But down to the crux of the question. So the question was, what is the gospel? Um, I want to start off, I guess, biblical definitions are the best. And so one of the, one of the most well-known ones, one of the great ones is in Romans chapter one, verse 16. You guys want to read that? One of you want to read that? I actually have my finger on it. Okay. I'm waiting for it. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God until salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. All right. So that's a great way to describe the gospel because you because right at the beginning of the verse, it's the, it says it, it gives you the subject to said I'm I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And then uh after that, you have a clear definition. It is. And then what was the clear definition of the gospel? What is it? The, the gospel of Christ, the power to save. The power to save. That's right. The power of God into salvation. Absolutely. So um, one issue that we can deal with when it comes to the gospel is that some people think that their personal testimony is the gospel. It's not. It's, the Bible's clear that the gospel 
is the power of God and the salvation. You know, testimonies are great. A personal, a personal testimony is great if you have time to share it, um, if you have time to incorporate it. But the Bible's clear that the power of God comes from the Word of God, and that should be the main focus of an evangelistic conversation. Um, another thing, when people think of the Gospels, they tend to think of Matthew, Mark, and Mark, Luke, and John, right? Because it's called the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, and so on. And so those are referred to as the four Gospels. But they, we need to understand that those are not the sum total of the Gospel. The Gospel is actually the full counsel of God. And I've heard people make statements um, recently as to how the Old Testament is, is not relevant when it comes to sharing the Gospel. And nothing could be further from the truth. Um, I've, I've said it before, but sharing the gospel without incorporating the Old Testament is like building a house from the roof down. Um, when, when Paul referred to the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he said the phrase, according to the scriptures. He said that two times. And I think Matt and I have talked about this a little bit uh, in the past week or two. But Paul kept saying, according to the scriptures. So when Paul's time, when he was writing his letters, he wasn't referring to what he was writing. What would he have been referring to? The Old Testament. Yeah, he would have been referring to the Old Testament, and according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures. And he talked about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When Jesus was addressing the Jews, and by the way, uh, when, he, when, when Paul was addressing the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he was addressing a primarily Gentile congregation. So it's not relevant to say that Paul uh, only used the Old Testament. He was talking to Jews. That's not true at all. But when Jesus was addressing the Jews in John chapter 5, verse 39 and 40, he said, you search the scriptures. Well, he's talking about what? The Old Testament. The Old yeah. Testament. Yep. So it says you, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these and when he says it is these, what's he referring back to? The Old Testament. I'll give you the answer. I was going. I was going to let Brian answer it. <laughs> well, I have a interesting like. I hate people that the situation of how people describe it as the Gospels. You know, the the four first books of the Bible, but. I like how uh, it says a lot of times these in these um, Bibles it's, it reads the gospel according to, not the gospel. It's, it's the gospel according to Mark, according to John. So that's a, a misnomer. It's not the gospels. Um, it is actually uh, according to uh, the the writers of those um, by, of those books. Yeah. And you have those, those, the gospels according, the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel according to Mark, the gospel according to Luke. So, yeah, absolutely. At the same time, we have to remember that everything that those four men, even though it says the gospel according to Mark, everything that those men wrote, even though it contained their personality, was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Exactly. All, yeah, exactly. All of God's word is inspired by and originates with the Holy Spirit. Um, but when, when, when Paul and, and Jesus referred to the scriptures, you know, when speaking of resurrection and life, they both referred their audiences back to the Old Testament. So the Old Testament prophecies and law is essential in the presentation of the true gospel. Now, I know that we could spend hours and days and probably months and years here dissecting the Old Testament and the New Testament to present the gospel but I realize that this is a segment, not a series. So I'm going to give you from the scriptures what the gospel is, because that's what the question was. Um, we, could, we could start way back with Adam and Eve, and we could go from there, because there's foreshadowing of, of, of all of the things in, in that, according to Jesus, think, things about Jesus way back in the garden, <clears throat> but we don't have time for that. Um, so recognize that this is kind of a condensed version to give the one uh, who asked the question and whoever else that may be listening general insight into the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, on the mission field, we had to be able to share the gospel in minutes. You know, if you happen to be in Northern Nigeria somewhere and you hop on the back of a motorcycle or whatever you call those little things that they're riding or, or in a, in a um, 
a car with somebody that was only taking you a couple of minutes down the road because you didn't want to walk, um, maybe in a dangerous area or whatever, you had to be able to articulate it um, and in a very short period of time. Uh, or you want to be able to go into detail for hours with somebody if that's what's, if that's what's uh, needed. <laughs> so gospel presentations really can be on a sliding scale of intensity. I get if that makes sense. Um, okay. Yeah. So the gospel has to, to, to start with the depravity of man. It has to start with the depravity of man. And that is that, that, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. <clears throat> so Adam, you know, be, I said I wasn't going to start way back there, but I'm going to throw some of these things in there because I can't help it. Like I said, it's hard for me to share the gospel without going to the Old Testament. But Adam, um, or it's impossible for me, to be honest with you. I don't know. I don't know how you do it. So Adam, the first man, you know, he was the federal head of mankind. He disobeyed God, and he sinned against him by being disobedient. And then the sin nature was then passed to all of mankind following him. And passages like Romans chapter 5, verse 12 tells us, therefore, just as through one man, that was Adam, it says through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin. So death spread to all men because all sin. So when somebody says, well, it was Adam who sinned, why do we pay the price? Well, it says that death spread to all men because all sinned. And so those last three words in that passage in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, places personal responsibility on everybody you know what i'm saying not not mm -hmm. just adam because all sinned i've sinned you have sinned everybody that's listening to this podcast is sinned. every man that's ever lived has sinned other than jesus christ himself now even though the fall of man began with adam we can see in that verse remember that every man is responsible for his own sin because all sin now <clears throat> Romans, uh, let's see, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, uh, kind of confirms all of that. It says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And when we go back to God's gold standard law, uh, which is what I use when I share the gospel, if you go back to Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 through 17, you'll find a list of God's laws that most people know as the Ten Commandments. And as we look through that list, we can find that every one of us is guilty of breaking at least one of those laws. As a matter of fact, I think it's important enough. Would one of you guys go to Exodus chapter 20 real quick? Yeah. Okay. And if I'm not mistaken, I'm thinking verses 3 through 17. <clears throat> Yeah. Okay. I know this is. I know it's a lot of scripture, but this is what the gospel is. So, if if somebody would read verses three through seventeen, I I would appreciate it. Okay. <clears throat> so Exodus chapter twenty, starting uh, in verse yeah. three. <clears throat> you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the Lord, <clears throat> you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor. And do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or your sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother that the days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your, <clears throat> you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Okay. Thank you, Matt. You know, and, and, and 
just as you were reading through those, just as you was read, you were reading through those Ten Commandments, I think sometimes. How many times did I read one and was like, "Up, oh, did it? Yeah, did it, did exactly, it, did it. man. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm talking about. And it, and and those things have been." You know, they put them on placards and stick them in the front yard and all kind of stuff. And that's fine. That's great. But I think sometimes we miss just the heaviness of this law. I mean, as you were reading through the law of God, I mean, I'm getting teary eyed just thinking that every single person on the face of the earth has broken at least one. You know, and in reality, we've broken all of them in some shape, form, or fashion. And you can, if you look through those things, if you look through those laws, you'll see that there's at least one. If you're only willing to admit that you've broken one of those laws, there's still a problem. Um, if, you, if you're really honest, you recognize that you're guilty of them all, that we're guilty of them all. But if somebody just makes a defense and they say, you know, I, I'll, I'll only admit one, then we can look over at James chapter 2, verse 10, and it answers that question. James says, for whoever keeps the whole law, all the law, and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. So breaking one fraction of one law is the same as breaking them all, because what is God's standard? What is his standard? Perfection. 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 His standard is perfection, and none of us, none of us meet that standard. And Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one, not even one. So uh, a critical aspect of the gospel is, is, is that all people are sinners. And so we're, when we're presenting the gospel, and if there's somebody that's listening to this as a presentation of the gospel, is it's, it's critical that they realize that everybody is a sinner. It doesn't matter if you consider yourself a good person. It doesn't matter if your family and your friends and your coworkers and your boss, whoever. You know, you, you may be a great person in the eyes of man, but in the eyes of God, we're all sinners because all have sinned. All people have broken the law of God. And the, the, the sinfulness and the unrighteousness of man has to be established when you're presenting the gospel. We have to know, well, if there's good news, what's the bad news? Why is there bad news? You know, why, why, why do we need good news? Well, that's why, because of the law, because we've fallen short. And so the Bible establishes that so many times throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. So, um, is there anything you guys want to put in here? I don't want to lecture the whole time. I'm sorry. Oh, no, you're good. Okay. All right, so so if you keep that in mind, if you check out 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses, uh, verses 9 and 10, there's a pretty clear declaration right there. <clears throat> Somebody, you can read that if, if one of you wants to read that. So, First Corinthians chapter six. What was the verse? First Corinthians chapter six, uh, verses nine and ten. Nine and ten. Okay. <clears throat> or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor uh, revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Okay. All right. And so it's pretty clear in First Corinthians right here that Paul says that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, um, so mankind as a whole is unrighteous. The Bible says the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, and so that kind of begs the question: What will they inherit? John uh, chapter five verses twenty-eight and twenty-nine. He says, "Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming." in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. In um, Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but are able to kill the soul, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So, and, and then... There's another one, one of the most powerful, uh, in my opinion, one of the most powerful and terrifying sets of verses in the Bible concerning the unrighteous is in Revelation chapter 20. A lot of times I can't even read this without getting choked up, but it's Revelation chapter 20, uh, verses 11 through 15. 
John says, then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, sat upon it from whose presence and earth, uh, presence and earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small standing before the throne and books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which are written in the book according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. A couple of things that I want to point out in there is twice John says they were judged according to their deeds. Now, something important to remember here is good deeds. All right, good deeds don't gain us access to God. Good deeds do not gain us access to heaven. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, uh, we can learn that our good deeds are as filthy rags they're looked at as filthy rags. And so if we're standing before the throne of God and we're judged according to our good deeds, then you can safely say that we're being judged according to our filthy rags. And that's a really, really terrible place to be. Um, so if, if we're all unrighteous and we are, and if we're all sinners and we are, and we, if we've all broken God's perfect law, and we have, and we're all facing judgment in eternity and hell as a sentence for those violations against the holy God, and we are, then what's the answer? You know, what's the escape from the sentence? And, you know, we can't do enough good deeds to buy salvation. We can't work hard enough to appease God's wrath uh, because the sinners, our motives for the good deeds are already tainted by sin. Um, and I'll read you, let me read you something else along those lines. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6 says, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like fil a filthy garment, and all of us wither like a leaf, and all our iniquities like the wind take us away. So what's the answer? You know, what's, what's the way of escape? <coughs> Hebrews gives us insight into what has to happen. The book of Hebrews gives us insight into that in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. Uh, the writer says, according to the law, one may almost say all things are cleansed by uh, cleansed with blood. And this is key right here. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So somebody, somebody might say, okay, well, maybe I can shed my blood and pay my own price. Well, what's the problem with that, guys? What's the problem with shedding our own blood? Because it's not a worthy not sacrifice. Exactly. Exactly. It's not a worthy sacrifice. We're already tainted. We're already tainted by sin. So we're unacceptable sacrifices. And I'll go ahead and address another issue, and that's universalism. Somebody might say, well, maybe I may die in my sins. I may go to hell. But after a period of time being in hell, then I will pay, you know, I'll pay my debt off, and I'll be removed from hell and placed into the, the, the presence of God. The problem with that is that once you cross the threshold of death and you find yourself judged, there's, there's no more room for faith. Once you come face to face with God at, 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 the, at the judgment, at the great white throne judgment, there's more, no more room for faith. Faith is, is something that we, you know, faith is, is um, what we can't see. It's evidence, but it's, it's evidence of the things we can't see. Once we cross that threshold, there's no longer the ability to place faith in God. And another thing is, is a violation. You know, we tend to look at, at, at humanity. And we look at things as being just and unjust, fair and unfair. And so when we see a criminal go before a judge, we say, oh, you know, I, I think that I think the punishment should fit the crime. And that's true. You know, the punishment should fit the crime. OK, this guy murdered somebody a life for a life or whatever. But we tend to not understand that sin against a God that is completely holy completely perfect, totally righteous, totally set apart and majestic, totally set apart from mankind and not tainted with sin at all. Any violation against that holy God, the, 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 a just sentence is eternal punishment. And, and that's something that we need to try to understand. 
So the sacrifice that has to be paid for our sin has to be holy, has to be righteous, and it can't be paid by somebody that's ever violated uh, even one of God's laws. Somebody had to pay the price that was perfect. And so this is one of those places where we go back to the Old Testament to articulate the gospel. Even from Genesis, when Adam and Eve fell, we can see foreshadows of the coming Messiah, the coming Savior, Jesus Christ. The blood of animals had to be shed to cover their nakedness. So does the sacrifice of an animal, I'll ask you guys this question, so does the sacrifice of an animal pay the price for sin? No. no, it doesn't. As a matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4 says, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That's, that's pretty clear, right? Those, yeah. were, those were, you know, you guys know this. Those were merely foreshadows of a more perfect sacrifice to come. So the answer is Jesus Christ. That's the answer. Jesus was born of a virgin. And this is commonly rejected, um, but a critical doctrine in God's plan of salvation. The virgin birth is prophesied as early as Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, which is called the Proto-Evangelium, or the first gospel. God tells, um, God tells Satan there that it will be the seed of the woman, specifically, that has victory over Satan. And then in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it explicitly prophesies, that, uh, explicitly prophesies a virgin birth. And because Jesus' mother... It's so interesting when you start digging into this. But because Jesus' mother was a human and his father was God, he was both God and man, and he was in this unique position of not being born with a sin nature. And, and, and the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, it says, But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, just like we are, right? born under the mm -hmm. law so that he might redeem those who were under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. So Jesus came. He was born under the law, the same as us, without a sin nature. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews 4.15 concerning Jesus, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. And so I know we can go into a lot of detail here, but we can't. But what I, the point I'm trying to make is that these things qualify Jesus to be the, 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 the unique, perfect sacrifice for our sins, which is exactly what happened. And the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, it says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried. Now, this is, this is if you want to, have you guys got anything you want to throw in here? Oh no, I'm just listening. Okay, all right. Um, just jump in if I'm if if you got something to say. I don't want to hog it. But if if you want to use some church words, it's called substitutionary atonement. In other words, Christ's death was a substitute for us. He died in our place, and and the atonement part means that he died to make reparation between a holy God and sinful man. You know, to bring us back together. In other words, he he died to pay a price that you and I can never pay no longer, no, no matter how long we spent in hell and no matter how good we think we are. But uh, Jesus is dying wasn't the end of it. You know, we're talking about what is the gospel. So Jesus is dying wasn't the end of it. Anybody can say that they're dying from the hands of somebody else. But, but the death alone doesn't show that the sacrifice wasn't acceptable. It's just, it's just somebody dying for somebody can say, you know what, I'm going to die for your sins. They can die, and they can say it's for your sins, but it doesn't mean that that sacrifice was acceptable to God. And so what shows us that the sacrifice was acceptable was what happened next in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 4, Paul says, and that he was raised on the third day. And then he finishes it out according to the Scriptures. All this was prophesied. All this was prophesied hundreds and, and even thousands of years before it ever happened. So what's left? So since we don't seek for God, according to Romans, Romans chapter 3 actually, te actually teaches that, that we do not seek for God. Since we're dead in trespasses and sins, according to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, since our will is held captive by the devil, according to 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 26, we're in a mess. 
God has to save us. And, and some illustrate our situation like sinking in the ocean and we're sinking in the ocean and God throws us a life preserver. You know, does, does that add up, Matt? And we reach out and grab it. Does that add up? Not according to the scripture. <laughs> Good answer. Good answer. <clears throat> that does not add up because a dead man is dead and a dead man doesn't reach for a life preserver. If we want to use an illustration like that, we'd have to, we, we would already be dead and lying at the bottom of the ocean with no hope. And then God comes in and reaches down and rescues us and breathes life into us and saves us. The Bible tells us in, in Ephesians chapter one, if you go through that entire chapter, that the father chooses us, the son redeems us, and the Holy Spirit seals us as his. And I want to share something and point out a couple of things in scripture. And, and notice, notice our inability um, to save ourselves, or our inability to reach out uh, and, and notice God's initiative in this. I'm just going to read a few passages here, and I'll emphasize as I go. This comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. It says, I've literally had, I've had my, my I've, I've been waiting for you to get there. I've had my Bible set there for like. Have you minutes. really? <laughs> yes. So you know where I was going with this, right? I knew that's, it. That's knew awesome, it. man. I love this. <laughs> It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Who was that, by the way? Satan. Satan, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. It says, but God. Those are two huge words, and I know you guys remember we've talked about this before in services. But God, no matter where we were, no matter who we were, no matter what we did, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trans transgressions, made us, notice there's an outside force, he made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. And there's some really powerful and compelling passages of scripture. When you look at all the things that God did, he loved us. He made us alive. He raised us up. He seated us with him. And he uh, um, shows us kindness in Christ Jesus. And so they, they, they're just really powerful and compelling passages of scripture pointing to our inability to save ourselves and God's initiative to save his people based on nothing more than his love for us and his willingness to save a people for his glory that don't deserve it and that don't seek it. So what is our responsibility in this? You say, well, God does everything. What is our responsibility? Well, Jesus summarizes that for us in Mark uh, chapter one, verse 15. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent, turn from your sins, and believe in the gospel, submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So turn from your sin, place your faith in what you've heard, submit yourself to the teachings uh, in the Lordship of Jesus Christ, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him and recognize that he's coming again to receive a people to himself. And this is about as well as I can summarize the gospel, um, in a certain amount of detail and hope everybody understands a little bit more what it's all about. Um, and also the significance of the Old Testament and the proclamation of the full gospel. Um, that's, um, that's about as good as I can do brothers. That's good. I think it's amazing how the Bible is written in such a way that it mirrors the gospel's message with um, many, many, many of the stories that are told uh, within the Bible and and how it's purposefully written in a way so that every time you you read a story or you read a passage of of what happened 
in in these people's lives that are uh, you know, that are recorded in the Bible, that it mirrors uh, the salvation that we have in Christ, and and just uh, the uh, how He has come to to save the lost, and, it, and those stories how they they line up with one another, and and how it's just. Um, intricately woven and it's it's amazing that kind of one thing tells you that there's no way that this could be man inspired this has to be god inspired it really is brandon and i like the way you put the you put it that way that it's that's beautifully woven i mean you go back to moses and and you look at the stories of moses and how he led the people of israel and how he led them through you know the red sea and and uh, um Moses was a foreshadow of the Savior, and David was a foreshadow of the Savior, and Abraham was a foreshadow of the Savior. You know, and it just goes on and on and on. I mean, they were lesser, they were lesser shadow, you know, they're shadows of Christ. But all of that in the Old Testament points to the Savior. You know, all of that points to Jesus Christ, and it's all so significant. I was listening (laughs) to a a story um, on the radio, and... um, it was talking about uh, the story of um, Boaz um, and Ruth. Yeah. And uh, he was speaking about, you know, the situation of how um, Ruth, um, and, I, and you could correct me because um, I will make, mess this up, <laughs> was uh, she, I guess that uh, she was a widow. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And so she lost uh, her husband. And so they were going to lose uh, their property, their farm, their their well-being. Uh, and so there's a mechanism within Jewish culture that allows for someone, a, a, a someone of of near kin, to come yeah. and um, purchase the property and be able to um, keep that in the family instead of it being sold out uh, to. Uh, someone else because in Jewish culture it was very important to keep uh, the namesake going and the name of the family going um, and so they had to have a as actually translated as a near kinsman uh, to be that person to keep the namesake and the reason they do that is because the kinsman would have the same name and so that property would be attached to the same name and would continue uh, to go along and and, um, and keep that namesake. And so I guess um, the three requisites of being able to do that was that you had to be kin, uh, you had to be close to the family, um, you had to be um, ex- extraordinarily wealthy to actually do it. And then the third thing is that you had to be willing to do it. And uh, and and just the story of their love story and in in itself is a is a, is a story that can be you know uh, broken down and it, it's just a wonderful um, passage. But when you think about it, it mirrors what Jesus did for us. So they had to be um, of they had to be kin, uh, and Jesus was born uh, of a virgin to become man, so he could be near kin to humankind. And, That's right. And so, and then the, the third or the second was that he had to be exorbitantly wealthy, and and our our Savior is wealthy. He is is, and his riches that he bestows upon us in grace and riches and mercy and riches, and so he fulfilled necessity of that. And the third thing is being willing to do it, and how someone that is uh, the Son of God could be willing to die for someone and for all of us who would be in the most of the times people that don't even care that um, rebel against him yet he'd be, still be willing to to die for people like that and uh, and just the way that that mirrors with with Jesus coming to be our near kinsman to redeem us and to save us from depravity um, I think that you know the gospel it just it it shows just perfection of of Christ's ability to to raise us up and to uh, to be able to give us uh, the 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 chance of being in the presence of God because in and of ourselves we would have no ability whatsoever to do it. That's right, that's right, and that that's that story. That's a, I mean that's a beautiful story of of you know redemption. 
he's, he's called um he's called a near kinsman he's called a kinsman redeemer uh, boaz and and it is it is i mean he took ruth he took someone he, he took someone that, that, that didn't have a people and made her a part of a people which is what christ does for us he takes us and makes us into a holy nation a royal priesthood you know um uh, and gives us an inheritance it really is a beautiful thing mm-hmm. all right what you got matt <clears throat> um i just always like i mean i'm always brought back to the uh philippians 2 6 or 2 5 you know and on down verse when i <clears throat> when i think of the gospel and then i i start thinking about christ and and um just who he truly who he truly truly was um you know it's, it's, it's one thing to share the gospel and say hey jesus died for your sins he loves you you know like <clears throat> there's there's no substance it's not really that. personal and well, well there's no substance because a, a person doesn't know okay well why does jesus love me why you know do, like shane just went through you know there's no discussion of sin um or right. anything and um and so you know <clears throat> and we should remind ourselves of the true gospel every day and and when i do it always brings back to <clears throat> christ's example of humility and um i'm just gonna read it because i like reading it so how about that <laughs> um <clears throat> and this is paul and he says have this mind among yourselves which is yours in christ jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him <clears throat> the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that jesus christ is lord the glory of god the father that's who jesus is and um i think a lot of times we we just forget um <clears throat> what he really really yeah. did yeah absolutely and who and who he is uh, and I, i've heard it i've heard it said and i've said it a few times when i've been leading worship um you know even though god or even though jesus you know he, he was equal with God. You know, he humbled himself. He did not consider that equality. And and I kind of use this sometimes when, I, when like I said, um, when I'm leading worship, but essentially God sent himself to the world to save us, the ones he loves, from himself. Exactly. That's exactly what he did. And, and, there's no greater expression of love than than the man god of jesus christ and and, and i'm going through this thing now my gener my generation wants a deeper understanding of god a deeper understanding of the gospel there's got to be more there's got to be more when god has fully revealed himself through the man of jesus christ right. fully revealed there is no deeper there is nothing else. God has fully revealed himself through Jesus Christ. And, and, and we're called to believe. Right. We're called and, uh, to repent of our sins. And um, you know, if, if that's people it. want to know, if people want to go deeper, if, if you want to go deeper, then look at the person like you're talking about. Look at the person of Jesus Christ. And while you were saying that, it brings up Scripture. You know, and and a, and and a passage of scripture that came up in my mind was Hebrews chapter one verses one through three, where it says God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world, and He, speaking of Jesus, He is the radiance of His glory. He's the radiance of the Father's glory, the exact representation of of His nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he made pur purifications of sins, purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So if you want to go deeper, 
and study Jesus Christ because he's the radiance of the glory of God in the exact representation of, of his nature and uh, the one whom everything was created. So you want to know God? Jesus Christ is how he's revealed himself, and the word of God is where Jesus is revealed. Yeah. John 1.1. 1, 1. And the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. There it is. <laughs> That's all I got. I mean, look at you. I mean, we can just keep oh, going. Yeah, I mean, I can do this on the <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you want to know a mystery, just how about why Jesus would die for somebody that don't even care about him? Yeah. You know, that's, yeah. I mean, you, you don't, you don't have to go deep to understand the gospel. And it sounds like if you're trying to go deeper and understand and to find a mystery about it is because you're trying to get something out of it that's not there. Yeah, because the gospel is a mystery. I mean, it, yep. it, it is a mystery. It's a it's a divine, deep minute mystery that man's finite can't mind can't fully comprehend. That's right. And it's for His glory. He yeah. did it for His glory. The first and foremost, God has done this for His glory because He is God. He is God, the Creator. You know, the sovereign God of the universe. He did it for His glory, and we reap tremendous benefits from it. That's right. Well, cool. I guess uh, everybody good? You got anything else you want to add? Good, brother. Good. Well, appreciate it, everybody. It's a good uh, – well, we might have to do part two of what is the gospel. <laughs> <laughs> we can do a part two discussion. We could just keep going like this. Part two discussion. Part two discussion of the gospel. Yeah. <laughs> That. We love because he first loved us. <laughs> what was that? Say it again. Oh, nothing. Okay. Never mind. <laughs> save it right. for part two. We'll save that for part two. Yeah, yeah. We'll save it for part two. <laughs> Don't give it all away. You know, we got to keep people coming back to listen. So. <laughs> well, cool. Well, man, that was a that was a long gospel presentation. <laughs> yeah, that was the middle of the road gospel presentation. All right. That was good. Awesome. Time well, cool. Was. That's right. Well, if you, if you have questions, though, that you want to find out more information about the gospel or if you have questions about salvation, uh, we are happy to listen to you. We want to hear from you. Uh, there is description there how to get in touch with us. You can send us an email. You can actually fill out a form to get, um, send a message uh, to us directly. And also, we need your questions. So, uh, Matt, I'm going to leave this segment to you, but we need some questions. We'll get, we'll get some questions. I got some questions. We just got to get them out. We got to pump them out. All right. That's not what I was looking for, but that'll work too. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this is your, this is your <laughs> promo section to add people, people to send in their questions. Oh, 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 okay. sorry. Let's start over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, yeah, send us some questions. Ah, that's better. That's better. <laughs> Well, good deal. Well, uh, Unet, uh, we'll send this information uh, out there to you, and here is how to get in touch with us. That concludes today's episode of Ask Your Pastor. If you enjoyed this episode or would like to ask your own question, please let us know. Visit us on the web at tbcmoultrie.com and click on the media link. Or you can send us an email at askyourpastor at tbcmultry.com. Again, thanks for listening.